Please welcome to the stage, Damien Kelleher. Let's start in the middle. Mallory Blackman is the multi-award winning author of titles such as Pig Heart Boy, Thief, Boys Don't Cry, and of course, the fantastic Noughts and Crosses sequence. She was an awarded an OBE for her services to children's literature in 2008, which is pretty cool, but she also got a name check on Tiny Tempers Written in the Stars, which is probably just a little bit cooler. Right, as well as being creator of TV's The Far Show and the author of several adult novels, Charlie Higson was hurled into the hurly-burly of children's books with his best-selling Young Bond series. His latest mega-selling horror fest, The Enemy, has brought zombies back into the spotlight, though you may want to not want to look at them too closely. And finally, we have Sophie McKenzie. Now, Sophie started her career as a journalist and magazine editor, but she's now a best-selling author. Her debut novel, Girl Missing, won the Red House and the Richard and Judy Book Awards. And since then, we've had Blood Ties, we've had Blood Ransom, we've had The Medusa Project, and Sister Missing, and they've all scooped awards, and they've won her a dedicated following. Let's have a quick... I think, Sophie, let's chat to you first of all. Okay. I know that Acting Friends um, is your story that you've specially written on the app. It's all about a first day at school, isn't it, which can be a little bit stressful for a lot of us. What was it that inspired you to write this story? Well, um, Acting Friends is actually the prequel to the new series, which starts today with Falling okay. Fast. And... I guess it was an opportunity to go back to a point several years before the series begins and show River, who's the main character, in her first term at school and the experiences she has and how she makes her two best friends who are with her right. through the rest of the series. So, you know, it was, actually, it was actually a great way of getting to know more about those characters. Yeah. It's, it's one of those experiences you never forget, is it, your first day at secondary school. And for River, it doesn't all kick off particularly well, does it, at the beginning? No, she kind of gets into a fight before she's even got into the school building. Uh, she right. doesn't mean to, but, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't start well. I know the feeling, actually. Oh, yeah. do you? Yeah, it's actually something very similar happened. Now, um, the other, one of the other subjects that you talk about in it is schoolgirl crushes that come across. There's one particular pop star that she, River is rather keen on, isn't mm -hmm. Called Frankie. That's right. Yeah, now Frankie, I think we all tend to laugh about these things, don't we? That have people having crushes laugh. on pop stars, but it's serious <laughs> stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 don't, I really don't laugh because right. having, a, having a crush on someone, whether they're a real person or a celebrity, it's still a big investment of your emotions. Yeah. So, um, I, to be honest, I think that as we get older, it's really easy to forget or to not take seriously, maybe. Mm. The intense feelings you can have. I mean, I've had my heart broken about four or five times in my life. And although some of the later ones maybe were more complicated heartbreaks, I don't know that there was anything worse than being you know, like 12, 13 and, or, uh, and, and realizing that this boy I really liked wasn't going to like me back in the same mm. way. I mean, I didn't know then that I would get over it. With all the later heartbreaks, I knew that I would probably come through. So, yeah, you, I, I think adults often forget just how hard that can be. And you didn't know it was going to provide great material for some of your stories. <laughs> <laughs> Always use that material. 
Now, I know that um, you go into a lot of schools, you talk to a lot of um, kids about your writing and your book, and that feeds back into the writing, doesn't it, when, you, when you're meeting, going out there and meeting lots of kids? Yeah, definitely. I, I love um, the opportunity to meet people who are reading books and, and also of the age that I'm writing about. I mean, I, I have a son who's a teenager right. as well. Um, but yes, all that's... All that's do you know, it's, it's actually, I mean, I was going to say it's, it's, it's important for the writing, but actually what it is mostly is fun, because I've yeah. found that in my experience when I go into schools, or when I have young people coming to signings, they ask me much, and I don't mean you to take this personally, they ask me much more, <laughs> more interesting, interesting questions. <laughs> no, no, I've heard that a lot. <laughs> and we're going to find that out later too, I'm sure. <laughs> now, um... Missing, girl missing, and then we had sister missing, didn't we? The question that I want to know is, is there going to be a missing trilogy? Is there a third book that you've got up your sleeve with missing? Yes. There is? Yes. Oh! Knew they'd like that. Well, the thing is, I I love writing those books so much, and missing, uh, girl missing is uh, about Lauren. She's the main character, you know, searching for the truth about her past. And I didn't think there would be a sequel to that book. But then, after several years had passed, I came up with an idea for Sister Missing and wrote that. And as I was writing Sister Missing, I realized how much I loved the character of Madison, who's Lauren's younger sister. And I had an idea that I thought would work for Madison to tell her story. So Missing Me, which is the book coming out in September, um, is going to be told from Madison's point of view once she gets to sort of the same age that Lauren was for the first yeah. two series. So it jumps forward six, five or six years. Brilliant. Missing me. Or Missing me. Now, Mallory, let's, let's turn to you. Um, I know that everyone's going to be delighted that your World Book Day app story, Callum, is returning to Noughts and Crosses. It must, have been, it must have been great for you to go back to those characters again because we all love them. It was very nice to get back to them, yeah. but at the same time, I've done other things since. Mm. But it was, a, it was a real treat to kind of write the story purely from Callum's point of view mm. and get back to... And it's a kind of what-if story. What, what if... What, what if... You know, yeah. it's kind of like... What would have happened if certain things have changed in the first book? So in the story, it's about what would have happened if Callum had actually gone away with Sefi when she was kidnapped and he helped her to escape. What would have happened if he went with her? So that's what Callum's about. So it's right back to the very first. It is back to the first one. So I love my what-if stories. Now, uh, that relationship between uh, Sefi, who's across, and then we've got Callum, who's a nought, it's always very, very tense. And I think it's very typical. And part of the reason why the stories work so well is because we can all relate to it a little bit. And there was one moment in it, in your story, where they miss it, where, where there's one gesture, which I think is very interesting, and it's misinterpreted. And uh, what was the inspiration <laughs> behind that moment? Well, that was, um, what he's talking about there, there's a bit in the book where um, they, uh, Callum and Sefi kiss. And Sefi's about to put her hands to her lips just to touch her lips because she thought it was lovely. But Callum thinks that she's thinking, oh, God, I shouldn't have done that. And so Callum wipes his mouth. And he only wipes his mouth because he thinks that she's going about to wipe her mouth, so he gets in first. And she wasn't going to. <laughs> and so she's really hurt by that. And I, I just, that whole idea of misunderstandings. Yeah. And, and it's that thing of some, we think, we've all been there, where we might think someone's about to say something horrible, so we yeah. say something first, and then realise we've made a mistake or that kind of thing. And so I wanted to, I kind of was playing around with that because the 
the idea was Callum enjoyed it just as much as she did, yeah. but, but he thought, really thought she was going to wipe her mouth. Mm. And so he thought he'd get in first. And of course, that sets up a whole kind yeah, of thing. We've all been there. You've got to get in first. Yeah, yeah exactly. So <laughs> it is about way. not wanting to be hurt. So you kind of put on this front of trying to say something first or, or do something first. Mm. And you totally misinterpret what the other person was going to do or say. Yeah, yeah. no, I know that. Now, um, with the success, we've, we've seen things like The Hunger Games, which has just been, done so fantastically well, and there have been all kinds of fantastic books out there, which everyone labels like Michael Grant's gone, dystopian fiction. But in a way, Noughts and Crosses, it was right there at the very beginning before this dystopian <laughs> fiction, um, wasn't it? Well, there are a few others who did it before me, but I yeah. think of, for teenagers, yeah. I think... Um, Mine was one of the first, but that said, it, it wasn't that I thought I'm going to sit down and write a dystopian novel or whatever. I just wanted to write something and I wanted to turn reality on its head. Mm. I wanted to do an alternate reality. Yeah. And I love things where um, it's the same but slightly different, but it's that slight difference that then changes everything. Mm. And so that's why I wanted to do it that way, so that it's very recognisable as Britain as we know it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's the crosses, the black people who are the majority and are in government and the make up the majority yeah. of government and so on. So I wanted to play around it's with that a idea. Shift, isn't yeah, it, exactly. Did you have any idea when you wrote it, quite because it was a real watershed book for you, wasn't it? Yeah. Did you have any inkling how it would change your career and your writing life? No, I didn't. In fact, I wish I did. I would have written it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was actually my 50th book. Was it? It was my 50th wow. book. So I'd written quite a few before then. Um, and, but I wanted to write something that I, I, I wanted to write something that I felt was different mm. and something from the heart. I mean, that's not to say not, not all that... When I write my books, they're all from the heart, but this one sure. was tackling things that I wasn't ready to tackle before then. Things that happened to me when I was at school, things that happened to me as a teenager, a lot yeah. of that stuff is actually in the book. And it was very painful to write because of that. And because of that, I don't think I could have written it earlier yeah. anyway, to be honest. You have to come to it at the right time, exactly. don't you? Otherwise, it doesn't have the same meaning. Exactly. Brilliant. Now, Charlie, let's talk about your, your World Book Day app story, which is, which is love, fabulously gory. Um, Geeks versus Zombies, it's a spin-off, isn't it, from your The Enemy series. Tell us a bit about that for anyone who hasn't uh, read The Enemy. Uh, well, The Enemy series is about, to sum it up, it's about a zombie apocalypse, really. Uh, uh, a disease has hit the planet, but it only affects people over the age of 14, who are either killed instantly or they get so badly diseased that they behave like classic cannibal-eating zombies. So it's about kids trying to survive in London and trying not to be eaten by the grown-ups. And it's not really... It, they're celebrating World Book Day, aren't they, in your story? In the story, yeah. I, I wanted to write something about are books important? How important are books and stories? And I, So I wanted to think, would people still be interested in reading books after a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> that was my starting point. So in the book, there's a bunch of kids who are living at the Natural History Museum and they've got three zombie, or sickos as they call them, captured, trapped in, the, in a lorry so they can do experiments on them to try and find out about the disease. But another group of kids at the museum have decided to put on their own World Book Day. Because it's kind of people, I think, when things go wrong, they want to cling on to things they remembered from their past. So there's some of the kids who, the rest of the kids there think of them as geeks, and they set up their own World Book Day. So the, it's about them trying to find other kids to come and join them 
for their World Book Day, but it all goes horribly wrong. Yeah, for, for anyone who thinks that libraries are nice, quiet places, I think this story is going to shake a few of them, aren't, yes. isn't it? It's going to shake it up a little bit. Now, um, there are the sickos that you were talking about. Nice little names. Um, Simon, Cheryl, and Louis, isn't it? It all sounds a little bit familiar. Yes, well... Um, <laughs> The kids have made up nicknames for their three captured um, sickos, and they've named them after the, the original X Factor judges. So, yes. <laughs> Who could resist? But you've, you've always been a great fan of horror, haven't you? I know it's been one of your yes. interests. And, and not, just, not just horror books, but horror movies as well. Yeah, I think like most teenage, uh, teenagers, and particularly teenage boys, I was really, really into horror movies when I was a teenager. And on, as a result of that, I read lots of the horror books of writers like Stephen King. Um, and I've got three boys on my own, and I know how much they love horror and scary things and gory things. So I wanted to write a series of books that were as intense and frightening and nasty as the sort of films I went to see as an 18-year-old, but make them for slightly younger kids. And do you, how, how do you know how far to go with them? Because sometimes you push it, don't you? Well, it's a difficult thing. I mean, when I was writing the first one, I hadn't written for kids before. I wanted to write something that would really frighten kids. Because I figured if a kid was really terrified reading your book, then they would always remember that book. And as a writer, you want to be remembered. But I thought, I don't want to go too far. So how scary can I make it? So when I was writing the first one, I basically read it to my youngest boy as a bedtime story. He was only 10 at the time, he was a bit young, <laughs> but I figured if he could handle it, it'd be all right. But unfortunately, you know, I started it and I read the first really scary bit, and I thought, oh God, he's really going to be freaked out. He wasn't. He was sitting up in bed grinning. I said, are you not frightened by this? He said, no, it's brilliant. I loved it when his head exploded. <laughs> so I figured I'd have to make it more frightening, because you kids these days, you're harder to scare. So I kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and making it more and more frightening, trying to get a reaction out of him, till eventually we were about halfway through the book and about, I'd read to him, he'd gone to sleep, and about four o'clock in the morning, he came hammering on our bedroom door, covered in sweat and shaking and tears running down his face. So he had this really, really awful nightmare based on the book. <laughs> oh, Charlie, I know that also we, we know and love, of course, the Young Bodden books. Would you have written the Enemy series if you hadn't already written The Young Bums, do you think? Well, no, I hadn't really been planning to become a children's writer. I'd been thinking it would be nice to write something that my own boys could enjoy. And I was offered the job of writing young James Bond books. Yeah. And I thought, it's fantastic, I'm a huge James Bond fan. Um, and, I, and I figured, well, the first one will probably sell on the name of James Bond. Yeah. If I don't know how to write for kids, they won't want to read any of the others. Luckily, they liked it, and I found kids seem to like the way I wrote, so yeah. that's encouraged me to write more. And yeah, I, if it hadn't been for James Bond, I, I, I probably wouldn't have written these books. No. Yeah. Now, we're, we're here in the Apple Store, of course, in Covent Garden, and one of, one of the reasons why we're here is because of the app and the technology, and technology is really changing the way people write and the way that people read, we know that. And I was wondering how it affects you as writers. Does it, Sophie, what's it, how has technology affected the way you're writing your book? Um, Oh, lots of ways. Um, I've got a website which we just revamped, and right. there's uh, that's like I mean, at, at the most basic level, that's a, a f the internet and the website on the internet provide a, a way of, of getting in touch with people that just yeah. would have been unthink you know unthinkable. I mean, that any uh, and when you're researching as well, you know, the internet's the most amazing resource. You can mm. just at the click of um, 
the click of a button, you you can be anywhere, like what you know, and find out anything about anything. I mean, you can't always know how reliable what you're yeah. finding is, but it's it's uh, it's transformed, you know, uh, how how we write. So my website then. Being able to interact with people reading my books on Facebook, because I have an yeah, author page on Facebook, and through Twitter, and... Are you tweeting a lot? You're tweeting to your I fans? Do, I do like a tweet, yeah. yes. We all like a tweet, don't we? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, loads of ways. Mallory, I know you used to work in computers too, didn't you? So you must be right up there on the technology. <laughs> well, not, not really. I used to be a computer programmer. Right. And so I, I've got a website, and I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter. And as Sophie said, it, it's about sort of the, do, doing research is wonderful on the internet, mm. but obviously you can't rely on just one or two sources. You, sure. you have to do it properly. But it's having that resource. I, I love that. Mm. And what I love as well is the fact that I can get instant feedback yeah. from people, and they can kind of contact me on Facebook and say they really like this, or why did I do this in a particular way, and so on. And I love yeah. that. I think that's... That for me is the fact, the fact that I can uh, communicate with people from around the world yeah. and not just this country. Yeah. And, it's, and I hate writing letters. I'm the mm. world's worst letter writer. But I love kind of just yeah. typing messages and, you know, and sending emails yeah. and things back and forth. It's shrinking so, that gap, isn't it, between, between writers and their audiences, really? I think it is. And I think also the fact that um, things like the iPads and our smartphones and so on and computers, the, and, and this thing that's just out today, the Raspberry Pi thing, yeah. I think that's really interesting. I think it's a good way for all of us to kind of really get involved in the world of computers, but not forgetting the world of reading and bringing the two together. Yeah. And I noticed that on your last book, Boys Don't Cry, you had a special little app that was released to yes. help promote that, which I tried that actually. It was bringing up Baby, wasn't that's it? That's right. It's called My Cry Baby, and it's a little app that you can get on, <clears throat> on, your, uh, on your iPod or your iPhone. And basically, you have to look after this baby. And like, for example, you can feed it and you can, you can rock it. So you've got to rock your iPod. And if you rock it too fast, the baby will puke all over the screen. <laughs> so it's really fun. So um, yeah, so that was brought out when Boys Don't Cry was brought out as well. I did very well with my baby. Oh, did you? Yeah, well done. Very happy. <laughs> Charlie, you like technology, don't you? It's, it's an important part of your life. Yeah, it's a huge part of my life. I mean, you know, the invention of the computer is at the same time the most brilliant thing for a writer and the most awful thing for a writer yeah. because it makes your writing so much easier with all the things we talked about, not just the word processing programs, but the, the research with Wikipedia and things like StreetMap where you can actually go and walk down the street you want to write about. But also, computers are a fantastic way to waste hours and hours of your time. <laughs> and I, you know, I sit down to write and then I think, I'll just play Call of Duty online for five minutes. <laughs> and it's two hours later, and I'm thinking, God, oh, I better write something more. Oh, I need to do some research. And you're like, how tall is Nelson's column? And you look that up, and you think, oh, let's find out about the Battle of Trafalgar. Let's find out about the Battle of Waterloo. <laughs> and then you're looking up ABBA, Waterloo lyrics, and you're listening to ABBA, and you think, this wasn't what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be writing a book. So it's the hardest thing for a writer is disciplining yourself. And technology makes things so much easier and quicker, yeah. but it is, can be a massive distraction, and I'm sure you kids find that if any of you use that for homework when you're supposed to be doing homework on your computer. And I, I'd say, oh, my boy's been, been doing his homework for two hours, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> and I go and look, and he's playing World of Warcraft. I play that. <laughs> <laughs> Who does their homework and Facebook at the same time, then? Come on. Yeah, yeah, there you, you see, go. you've all been yeah. there, haven't you? You know the feeling. 
Right, well, I think it's time, actually, because we were talking about these stories and the fantastic app where you can download the stories. Just to whet your appetites, I think we should hear a little bit from the stories. So, Sophie, do you want to start sure. us off and read us an extract from uh, Acting Friends? Okay. So, as I was, I was talking about this earlier, um, River is just on her first day. She, this is her, literally her first day at school, so it's from the start of the story. And she's got her mum to drop her off a few streets away because she's a bit self-conscious, doesn't want, you know, wants to um, get, uh, feel as confident as she can going into school. And she's met a, another girl who's obviously new from the very neat way her uniform's been, been, being worn. So together, River and this new, uh, other new girl she's met, Grace, go towards the school. We headed for the main school building. It was built around a central courtyard with lots of smaller buildings on either side. The tarmac at our feet glistened in the sunshine. All of a sudden, I was aware of girls, taller girls, closing in around us, crowding us, herding us forwards. I moved sideways, trying to get out of the way, and bumped into someone. She shrieked. I spun round. The girl was open-mouthed. She was tall like the others and with a shock of dark red curly hair. She was holding a can of something fizzy. I didn't see the brand. All I saw was the huge stain from the drink that had splashed down her school shirt. Had I done that by bumping into her? Oh, no. Giggles rose up around me. I'm so sorry, I said, feeling myself blushing. I'm really clumsy. It was a total accident. I Shut up. The girl reached out and shoved my shoulder. I stumbled backwards, my heart racing. My bag fell to the ground, my purse spilling out of the front pocket. I bent down to pick them both up, but the girl whipped down ahead of me. There was a flash of red curls in front of my eyes as she snatched my purse. My fingers closed on the warm, rough tarmac. The girl jumped up. What the hell is this? She sneered. I froze, still crouching on the ground. A circle of shoes surrounded me. They were all black, though none of them were as flat or as shiny as my own. Clutching my bag, I stood up. About eight girls, all long-haired and hard-eyed, surrounded me. I had no idea how old they were, but each one of them was at least a head taller than I was. All their ties were ultra-thin and knotted well below their shirt collars. None of them were wearing their blazers. I glanced at Grace. She was standing beside me, shrinking down into herself. I said, what is this? The red-haired girl who'd taken my purse repeated slowly. I looked up into her face. Her thin lips were pursed meanly together, and she was dangling my purse between her thumb and forefinger. It was made of pink plastic with a square clasp on the side. I'd had it for years, and as the original print of a kitten had long since worn off the front, I'd taken to taping pictures of singers and actors I liked over the plastic. The red-haired girl pointed to, a picture, to the picture currently on the front of my purse. It was a photo of Frankie Clark, the teen actor. I didn't gush over movie stars like some girls, but I had a massive crush on Frankie. I asked you why this is here. She was grinning now, a nasty, sneering grin. I shrugged, my heart hammering against my ribs. I, I don't know. The girl raised her eyebrows. She had a makeup encased spot on her chin. What a freak, she spat. I wasn't sure if she meant me or Frankie, but I didn't say anything. He wasn't bad in the little brother, one of the other girls said with a sniff. The red-haired girl shook her head. He's rubbish, so wimpy looking, he was pathetic in Lamboys. 
In spite of my terror, irritation bubbled up inside me. How dare she make fun of Frankie? He's not wimpy looking, I snapped, and he wasn't even in Lamboys. The girl who'd spoken earlier giggled. That's told you, Shaz. I glanced round again. The atmosphere wasn't what I'd thought. Most of these girl girls weren't even looking at me. They were laughing at Shaz, the girl who was bullying me. Whatever, Shaz gave an angry, shr angry shrug. She tugged her cardigan over the stain I'd made. She's still a freak. I tried to catch Grace's eye, but, her, but she was firmly fixed on the ground. I held out my hand for my purse. My fingers trembled. With a toss of, my, of her head, Shaz shoved the purse into my hand. I grabbed Grace's arm and started walking away. The girls to our right parted to let us through. As I marched away, Shaz ran up. I'll get you, she hissed in my ear before racing off. With shaking legs, I led Grace towards the school building. What did she mean? She'll get you, Grace whispered. Her face was even paler than when we met. I shook my head, not wanting to think about it. As we reached the steps, the bell rang, and the hordes of shrieking, laughing girls surrounding us sped up, racing off in different directions. Was it possible that I'd made an enemy already, and I hadn't even gone inside the building yet? Mm. Oh, lovely. Now, um, Mallory, I know that your voice isn't what it, what it usually is, but you're, you're going to share a short extract, aren't you? Very from short, very short. Um, right, you're going to have to forgive me because I'm going to pop my glasses on and off. I wear contact lenses, but because I'm getting on in years, when to read, I have to put my glasses on as well, which kind of sucks, but never mind. Um, right, so the story, for those who don't know, um, Sefi and Callum have been, well, have been friends since childhood, and Sefi's family are very, very rich. And so Callum, because of certain things that have happened to him in the original book, he's now become a terrorist. And him and his, the people in his terrorist cell, they've kidnapped Sefi and they've got, they're holding her to ransom. But Callum has been told that um, she's not going to be allowed to leave alive. He's supposed to kill her. So he's helped her to escape. So this, I'm just going to read a page of this, and this is where he's helped her to escape. And they're on the run from his brother in particular. His brother's called Jude. And because Callum knows that if Jude finds, finds them, then they're going to be in big trouble. But then they've woken up in this, in this cabin because Sefi twisted her ankle and they, they, he, he tried to get her home, but he couldn't. And they've woken up and there is Jude and he's, at, he's standing in the doorway and he's got a gun trained on them. Some way, somehow, I had to get Sefi out of here and to safety. But even if I fought Jude for the gun and I won, how far would either of us get before he came after us again? The only way to stop him from pursuing us was to kill him. But Jude was my brother, but Sefi was my lover. Oh God, how did you find us? I asked, slowly moving to stand between Jude and Sefi. An elephant stampeding through the forest would have left less of a trail to follow than you two, Jude informed me with derision. Sorry, I've just lost my page here. Okay, um, Jude informed me with derision. You screwed up on so many levels. Jude, let Sefi leave. This is between you and me. No, it isn't. You brought her into this. She's not going anywhere, my brother replied. Don't make it sound like Sefi stood some kind of chance if she stayed in the cabin with you and the others, I said with scorn. We both know the truth behind that one. Yes, but now you've let her drag you down with her, Jude told me, and that was your decision, no one else's. 
Then why didn't you just shoot, but shoot us both when we were asleep, I asked. And Miss, look on both of your faces when you saw me, Jude mocked. And that's when I knew that between me and Jude, only one of us would leave this room alive. Mm. So I'm going to stop there. Brilliant, thank you. <laughs> and finally, we've got Charlie who's going to read to us from The Enemy. <clears throat> Geeks versus zombies. Yeah, I'm going to lower the tone a bit now, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, as I said before, the, the story is about a bunch of kids who are trying to set up their own World Book Day at the Natural History Museum after everything, the whole of London has fallen apart. And two little boys, one of whom is called Wiki, because he knows everything, just like Wikipedia, and the other is called Jibber Jabber because he won't shut up. They're going around trying to get other kids to come and join them for their, for their World Book Day. And they've gone into the car park where there's this lorry, which is where the kids at the museum keep these three diseased adults that they call sickos. And two boys look after these sickos, and they're called James and Paul. All right, come on then. James pushed the shutter up at the back of the lorry and jumped on board, daring Wiki and Jibber Jabber to follow. Prove to me you're not geeks. Wiki hesitated a moment, then climbed up after him. Visitors, James shouted, and Paul emerged from behind the heavy black drapes that hung across the back of the lorry, hiding its interior. He looked angry and unhappy about being interrupted. What do you want? They want to see the sickos, said James in a sing-song voice. No, we don't. Jibber-jabber cut himself off, not wanting to look like a wimp. Paul glared at him. You want to see my sickos, he asked. What for? No reason, said Jibber-Jabber. What for? Well, well actually, said Wiki, we actually came to ask you about World Book Day, actually. Did you actually, said Paul. Yes, we actually did. What's World Book Day? A group of us are going to stay up all night reading books. Paul gave a brief, harsh bark of laughter. We're seeing if anyone else wants to join us, Jibber-Jabber added, not looking at Paul. Books, Paul said. What do I want with books? I don't know, said Jibber-Jabber. Books are fun. Yeah? Paul stared him down. My sister was killed the other day. Yes, said Wicker lamely. Yes, we know. And nobody around here seems to care. You're all too busy having fun, celebrating World Book Day. No, it's not like that. It's you all just carry on as if nothing's happened, said Paul bitterly. Having a party, are you? Yeah, staying up all night, reading books as if Harry Bloody Potter was still around. <laughs> well, something has happened. A big, fat, dirty sicko killed my sister, and you want me to ponce about reading books. <coughs> books can be helpful, said Wiki. You can, you know, see how other people cope with things, learn stuff. Paul suddenly grabbed Wiki and Jibber-Jabber and shoved them through the drapes. There was a cage on the other side, dimly lit by a wind-up camping lamp that was hanging from a hook. Its light fell on three grown-ups dressed in rags who were sitting in their own filth, chained to the walls of the lorry. The smell was appalling. Wiki covered his mouth and tried not to gag. Jibber-jabber had gone very pale. These days, cooped up in the safe confines of the museum, they hardly ever saw any sickos anymore. And certainly it was a long while since they'd been this close to one. 
The grown-ups, two fathers and a mother, were grey-faced and lumpy with boils and blisters. They were so thin, their flesh so shrunken, they looked like corpses. Their skin pulled tight over protruding bones. They sat very still, staring, unblinking, at the newcomers. One of the fathers had a leather muzzle strapped over his face. Thick yellow dribble was spilling out of the bottom of it. James noticed Wicky looking at him. That's Simon Fowl, he said. Simon likes to bite, but we don't let him anymore. That one there's called Louis Corpse, and the mother's called Cheryl after Cheryl Cole. They're our very own X-Factor judging panel, the three sickos. Cheryl opened her mouth wide and let out a long, bubbling gurgle. The few teeth she had left were brown and rotten. Most of her hair had fallen out, and her head was studded with growths, as if someone had shoved marbles beneath her skin. As Jibber Jabber watched, she put a hand up to scratch one lump and tore the top off it, releasing a little flow of bloody pus. She put her hand down to the floor, and it squelched into a freshly deposited turd. Wicky couldn't hold it back any longer. He leaned over and threw up into a bucket that had conveniently been left at the side of the cage. I just hope your World Book Day goes a bit better than that. <laughs> Well, thank you to all our authors for reading those great stories. And um, don't forget, if that whet your appetite, go to the app and download it. There are these and plenty more for you to read as well. Now, I wanted this one last question I'm going to ask before I'm going to turn them over to you, the audience. And that's all about, we've all got a book sometimes in our lives that really changes everything. You probably all got one too. It's one book that you've read that changes the way you think and the way you feel, and it turns you into a real reader. And I wondered, Sophie, if you had a desert island book, it's that one book that had made a huge difference. What would your book be and why? Well, the truth is there are lots of books that I would um, or could pick um, but I think the one, yeah. if I was going to a desert island and I wouldn't be able to have access to any other book, then it's got to be one that I really know already that I enjoy rereading. Mm. And there are a few books that fall into that category, and one of them is The Secret History by Donna Tartt. And it's, I think it's a brilliant book. It's about some students who murder someone by accident, yeah? And then they have to cover it up by murdering someone else. Now, I find this a very comforting read. I come back to it over and over again and um, really enjoy how all these students are together and, um, uh, and they get kind of into this awful situation and there's one guy who's kind of narrating the story who's a bit more on the outside. And I have learned a lot from that book in yeah. terms of writing, but mainly I just keep going back to it because I really, really love the story. And story is definitely what I always look for in a book. Good choice. I like that. love that book, too. Mallory, what about you? What's your, what's your Desert Island book that you would choose? It's a really hard question to answer, actually, because there's so many books yeah, that influence I me. I think if I could just have the one book, I'd want something really thick. Um, <laughs> and I was thinking of a book that maybe influenced me a lot when I was a child. Uh, it was fairy story books yeah. and myths and legends. So I think I'd probably choose like Grimm's fairy stories. <clears throat> and the reason I would, I think fairy stories as written by Grimm's and, and Hans Christian Andersen in the Myths and Legends aren't like the Disney versions. No, yeah. They're really gruesome. They're quite nasty. And they are, they? they're really nasty. Like um, 
Cinderella story when the prince actually, one of the, one of the uh, ugly sisters cuts off her heel so she can fit it into the shoe. And then the other one cuts off her toes so she can fit it into the shoe. And someone has to point out that there's blood pouring out of this shoe. And then the prince goes back. You'd think we'd use his eyes, but never mind. <laughs> so it's that kind of thing. So, you know, a lot of the fairy stories that I grew up with were very gory, very gruesome, verged on horror stories, but I yeah. love them. Yeah. And I love the fact that the heroines and heroes in them weren't necessarily beautiful or whatever, but they had to, they were kind. It was what, what was on the inside counted, yeah. rather than the way they looked or whatever. So I love that. So I think I take a great big, thick book of myths and legends and fairy yeah. stories. Just to keep you going. Exactly. <laughs> Charlie, what's your book that you would choose? What's your Desert Island book? Well, it's very, very similar to Mallory's, really, and I okay. agree with Mallory about fairy tales. I mean, I'm writing stories where adults are trying to catch and eat children, and half the fairy tales we know are based on yeah. that, like Hansel and Gretel and Jack the Giant Killer and Jack and the Beanstalk, all those stories. And, and it, you know, I think it goes back to some sort of deep fear that we all have. Um, so as Mallory's gone for the fairy tales, I'll go for myths and legends. I'll take a big, okay, good a big book of Greek myths. I love Greek myths. I've always read them, and I still do, because really every story that's been told ever since goes right back to the Greek myths. They've got the origins of all the stories we told. Mm. We dress them up in different ways, and you know, you can put modern stuff in it. But at the heart of what those stories are about, particularly me writing about heroes, uh, and that it goes right back to the stories of the, of the Greek heroes from Greek mythology. Yeah, you can keep reworking them too, can't you? Yes, great exactly source of material. <laughs> okay, I think it's time now. We had a few questions from you because I know you must be absolutely gagging to ask our author something. So, uh, I think we've got a couple of microphones too. Here we go. So yeah, let's have. There's someone here in the front. Let's start <laughs> off right at the very front. You have to actually sing. You realise that, don't you? <laughs> What's um, your question? My sister, when she was in year four, she got dared to read The Enemy, <laughs> and she read it, and then, when, now she's in year five, um, she got The Fear for Christmas, and she's read The Dead, and um, she asked me to ask you, um, where do you get your ideas from? Where do I get my ideas from? Well, I mean, obviously, as I'm writing stories about characters who behave a bit like zombies, my original starting point was some of the great zombie movies like Night of the Living Dead was one of my favorites, and all the horror films I've watched. But also, as I was just saying just now, um, Greek mythology as well. A lot of the characters and, and the things that happen in the books, I have stolen from Greek myths. Right. Yeah, there's a girl there. Um, for Sophie McKenzie, um, I read um, most of all your books here, and is there going to be, like, the fourth one of this? The nut no, there's not a fourth one in that series. That's Six Steps to a Girl you've got there, isn't it? Um, that, there are two, book, two other books in that series. Three's a Crowd and the One and Only. And as obviously you know, that's a romance series. But this um, uh, story I was reading today is the prequel to a whole new romance series. And the first book is called Falling Fast. And that's just come out today. So if you like those books, you should like this new series, which starts with Falling Fast. Microphone's just coming up behind. It's behind you. you. It's behind hi, you. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Miss Mackenzie. My favourite book of yours is the Medusa Project. So, what is your favourite book out of all the books you've written? Oh, that's a really tricky question because I've written about 15 books, 
And that's like your question is like saying, okay, Sophie, you've got 15 children. Which one is your favorite? So that's a really hard question. My usual answer is that it's the one I've just finished working on, which is a little bit of a cop out, but it, it is true because you get so involved with the story. So at the moment, I would say um, probably Missing Me, which I've been working on to come out later this year. But going back in time, maybe Blood Ties. Do you know that book? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my all-time favorites. Um, yeah. This is to Mallory. In your Noughts and Crosses series, do you feel that any of the characters that you have, like the sister who, I can't remember, I read it years ago, but... Um, it's all right. Is she deaf? Deaf? Lynette. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. The sister of um, Callum. Yeah, Lynette. Do you think that any of your characters maybe, like, portray, like, a experience or somebody you may have met or know in your life? Or do you think, like... And, a tri and you're trying to, like, I don't know express what you think about them through your books? Um, that's a good question, actually. I think as far as writing, creating characters who are based on people I know is concerned, I wouldn't do that because I don't want to get sued. Um, but Callum, a lot of Ca Callum is based on me as a teenager. And a lot of the anger and a lot of the stuff that actually happens to him, especially at school, is all true. And the stuff that happened to him on the train, for example, where the ticket, the ticket inspector thought he'd nicked the, the first-class ticket, that actually happened to me. And so all that stuff is true. And um, so that, that's why it was kind of hard to write. But as far as all the other characters are concerned, I kind of made them up. Although I have to say, because Noughts and Crosses is now a series of four books, and I think in the fourth book, Toby is not a million miles away, shall we say, from my hubby, Neil. So he's very like my husband, Neil, but well, I shouldn't really say that, actually. But too late now, I know. But he's very like my hubby, so there you go. So, yeah, so, um, but I think, you know, for most of the time, I never base them on people I, I know or whatever, because the thing is, even if you use somebody's name, they always think you're writing about them. So mm. I don't even do that anymore. Yeah. So. so all new names, no... We'll well, I've got a book of baby sense. names at home, oh, so I go through. Them, so yeah. that's how I go through. Oh, and I, oh, I look yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think you know, I, I I used to use friends' names, and I used a friend's name in a book in Noughts and Crosses, in yeah. fact, for a not very nice character, and she thought I was writing about her, and I wasn't. Uh, and it, it took a while for us to kind of get past that, so I wouldn't even do that anymore. That, that can work yeah. to your advantage. I put a um, a character called Jez in um, one of the Medusa books. And I described, and I, that's the name of a friend of mine, I described him as their muscle-bound personal trainer. And Jess, <laughs> the real Jess, loved that! <laughs> when, not. Charlie, you well, when, I, when, when I do events, I often get kids saying, can they be a character in the book who gets killed in a really gory way? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone likes that, don't they? Right, you're so... Go a little back. Um, Charlie Hickson, um, what did you love to read when you were a teenager? When I was a teenager, I used to read huge amounts of fantasy, fantasy books, things like Lord of the Rings. Um, there's a fantastic series of books called the Gorman Gas Trilogy by an English writer called Mervyn Peake. Uh, I used to read a lot by a guy called Michael Moorcock, who wrote some fantastic fantasy books. Um, and then I started reading, reading science fiction. I read, uh, I, I really, I liked to read books that took me out of the, what I saw as a very boring world that I lived in. 
I didn't want to read books about kids doing things like me. A lot of kids do. They want to read, oh, I, I can understand that. That's what I do. I wanted to read a book that took me on an adventure, took me off to somewhere completely different, and that, that would really excite my imagination. So a lot of fantasy and, and science fiction. I'm afraid we're all out of time now. We haven't got any more time, but the good news is that our authors are going to be signing on the tables over to your right. So if you didn't get a chance to ask your question, I'm sure they'll be able to answer it. Let me say thank you, first of all, to you all for your fantastic question. But a huge thank you to our authors, to Charlie Higson, Mary Batman, Sophie McKenzie.